Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. It is great to have you here today. If you've been journeying with us, you'll know that we just finished our Stranger Things series last week. Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Keith did a great job of helping us understand that there's this supernatural realm and a physical realm happening all at the same time, and Jesus operated in both of them. And in fact, he invites us to join him and be aware that there's things that are happening in our physical world, but there's a supernatural realm that is happening alongside of it. And so today we're going to start our new series. It's called Aunt Other Strange Happenings. And in this next series, we're going to take some time to look at some of these areas of scripture that might seem a little bit strange when we read them today. These strange happenings, when they happened in those days, would have caused quite a stir simply because of how wild they were. Now, as I was preparing for this teaching, I thought, what do we know about strange happenings? And did you know that there's 37 recorded strange happenings when Jesus was around? Jesus, they're called his 37 miracles, but you can call them strange happenings because crazy things happened. First of all, all of these 37 strange miracles, each validated Jesus' claim that he was the son of God. They also showcase God's incredible power, all 37 of them. But the 26 of them involved a physical healing of a body or bodies. Now, they were quite crazy, these 26 miracles. They weren't all the same thing. They were crazy different. We had blind men rubbing mud into their eyes and being able to see all of a sudden. We had crippled limbs returning to full strength. We had dead people coming back to life after their funeral services. We had leprosy outcasts who came back to society after, after they were healed. And we had a crazy miracle in here in which Jesus took a severed ear and reattached it back to a man's head. And you know what? These things were strange. Agree with me? They were kind of strange. And strange news carries. And after each of these miracles, more and more people were talking about this guy named Jesus that people were saying was the son of God. And so today we're going to look at one of these strange healings, these strange things. But before we get into that story, I wondered if we might have a science lesson. I want you to think about your day thus far and everything it took to get you here to this moment. Some deliberate things were put into place so that you could show up here today. I have a picture of you. That's you. You're looking fantastic this morning. Now, the first thing you did to participate in this gathering was you made a choice. You decided to join us for a One Church TO gathering, and you used your mind to make that choice. What do we know about your mind? Well, it's the place where we make our decisions. It's where we keep our knowledge. Romans 12.2 says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God can transform your mind. The second thing you did, you had to physically do something 
so that you could be watching this One Church TO gathering today. Maybe you turned on your computer, maybe you typed in our website, maybe you grabbed your phone and went to that handy, easy to use One Church TO app to join us. Whatever you did, you used your body at some capacity to join us today. Well, what do we know about your body? Well, it's what we see physically. It's made up of DNA, it's made up of guts, blood, it's made up of atoms, it's made up of bones and cartilage. Now, these things can break, they can change, they can deteriorate, and they can even die because our bodies are a temporary vessel that we reside in. We know that our bodies were formed from dust, and the Bible says they're going to return to dust. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into him, and the man became a living person. So we have your mind and we have your body. And finally, I hope you have experienced some sort of connection with God today. Maybe it was in the morning when you were praying to him. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit prompting you to turn on this gathering. Maybe during the gathering you had a moment where you just felt that God was speaking to you. Whatever that was, it was your soul that allowed you to experience this connection with God. You see, your soul is that intangible part of you. It's not physical, we can't see it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the dust will return to the ground in which it came from, and the spirit will return to God from which it came from. We know that our soul is separate from our bodies. We're all made up of these three parts, our mind, our body, and our soul. Now, our mind and body, those are the physical things about us. That's the things that's a part of this natural cosmos realm. We can touch them. Our soul is a part of the supernatural realm. It's intangible. And because we already know from our Stranger Things series that God is at work in both of these realms, today we're going to take a look to figure out what happens when God heals somebody. We're going to look at a story. It's found in John 11, and it's the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was a really important person. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. You might recognize their names. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were really important to Jesus. And one day, Lazarus became really ill. And so what happens was Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus, the one you love, Jesus, is sick. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus heard this, he didn't go to Lazarus immediately, even though he loved Lazarus. In fact, in John 11 verse 4, it says that Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So Jesus waits two more days before going to Lazarus. And two days later, when Jesus now knows that Lazarus has died, Jesus goes to Lazarus' town, Bethany. And when he shows up, the Bible tells us that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days already. And so he shows up in Bethany, and the Bible says that Mary and Martha are at their home, and there's people in their home, their Jewish friends have come to be with them and mourn Lazarus' death. And when they hear that Jesus is in town, the Bible says that Mary stays in the house, but Martha goes out to meet Jesus. And when she gets to Jesus, she makes this incredible statement of faith to him. She says, I know, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. But I also know that God is going to grant you everything that you ask. And so Jesus says to her, your brother is going to rise again. 
Now the problem is that Martha thinks that he's talking about one day when all the bodies will rise up and go to heaven to be with Jesus. And after this little interaction with Martha, Jesus says he wants to see Mary. And so Martha goes back to the house and tells Mary, Jesus wants to see you. And Mary rushes out of the house. Now, the people in the house, they think that Mary is rushing to Lazarus's tomb. And so they follow her. So the people are following Mary. Mary is following Martha. And Martha is leading them to Jesus. And when they arrive at Jesus, the Bible says that Mary says the exact same thing that Martha had said. She said, Jesus, if you had only been here, Lazarus would not have died. And so the Bible says in John eleven thirty three 33 to 35, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and Jesus wept. And at this time he says, Jesus asks, take me to Lazarus. And so this whole crowd, Jesus, his disciples, Mary, Martha, and their friends, they all go to the tomb. And when they arrive at the tomb, Jesus says, roll away the stone. Now, Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, we can't roll away the stone. For four days, Lazarus has been dead. His, his body is rotting. It's going to stink, Jesus. His body is decomposing. But Jesus insists, roll the stone away. And so the Bible says they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he said this. It was a prayer. He said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here so that they will believe that you have sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave cloths and his face was wrapped in a headcloth. Talk about a strange happening, right? I can imagine the crowd standing there completely at a loss for words. This man who had been dead for four days now that they had been grieving, the whole town knew that Lazarus had died. This man was standing in front of them, living and breathing because Jesus had said, come out of the tomb. For some of these people, this would have been the first miracle that they had ever witnessed with their own eyes. And I remember the first miracle I ever witnessed with my own eyes. I was about six years old. Uh, my mother had been diagnosed with degenerative bone disease. Now, this was a devastating diagnosis for a young mom with two little kids because the doctor had said, you're going to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. And so she was in so much pain, I remember. And she would lay out on the floor in our house day after day because she really couldn't move. And the woman in our church, I remember at this season, they would come to my house and they would pray over her. And my mom, when she could, she would go to church and they would pray over her. And this was a season where lots of people were praying that God would touch my mom's back and heal this. Now, I remember the day that my mom's back was healed. She was at church and they were praying over her and all of a sudden, God came upon her and he supernaturally touched her. And almost 28 years later, my mom has yet to spend a day in a wheelchair. It was an incredible, incredible miracle. And witnessing this miracle as a very young kid had a profound impact on my life. You see, I know that Jesus can do anything. I have no doubt in my mind. On that day, the supernatural invaded my physical world and God did the impossible. Some of you are sitting here today and you could say, yeah, that's happened to me. I can, I can attest. I know exactly what was happening to those people standing outside the tomb when Lazarus came out. I've come to realize that these moments are beautiful 
beautiful examples of how God invades our physical realm. But as amazing as my mom's story is, I also understand the difficult truth that God doesn't always miraculously heal. While I've had the joy of watching my mom have a miraculous healing, I've also known the desperation of God not answering my prayers in the way that I have been asking. There have been times that God has chosen not to heal despite my desperate prayers. And I'm sure many of you might be able to relate to that today. It's true that God can heal physical bodies, but it's also true that God sometimes chooses not to heal physical bodies. And this is a sobering reality for us, isn't it? Especially if we have an inaccurate view of what healing is. If we believe or falsely have been taught that healing is guaranteed for every believer and all you have to do is pray, and if a healing doesn't come, you need to pray harder, or maybe you need to fast, or maybe the right people need to pray, or that that you need to go to church and pray. If this is how you've been taught, and if God chooses not to heal, then the foundation of our faith, it can get a little bit shaky, can it? That's why it's so important for us to have an accurate understanding of what's happening in the Bible when Jesus does these strange happenings, when these strange happenings occur. And so today I just want to share with you three really simple, easy to understand truths about physical healing that I think will help us understand why God sometimes chooses to heal both in the past and for the present today. The first one is this. The purpose of a physical healing is to point us to God. It is not to alleviate our suffering. You see, I find it interesting, maybe a tad bit uncomfortable, that Jesus had the ability to prevent Lazarus from ever having this pain. He had the ability to prevent Mary and Martha from ever experiencing the emotional heartache of losing their brother. Jesus could have simply come when Lazarus first got sick and healed him, and then none of this would have had to be experienced. But Jesus didn't do that. In verse five to six, it says, although Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary and Martha, Jesus stayed where he was for two days. I think you could add a little sentence here. Although Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and although Jesus knew they were in physical and emotional pain, Jesus stayed where he was for two days. You see, the Bible is clear that in this world, we will have suffering. You can't get away from it. Believers of Jesus are not immune to the hardships of this world. In fact, the Bible encourages us in Isaiah that when you walk through deep waters, not if, but when you walk through deep waters, God will go with you. Now, as a parent myself, I think I can understand this truth a little bit. There have been seasons in our lives where I could have prevented my kids from walking through their present pain. I remember one time standing in an operating room with one of our children, and they were about to go through general anesthetic. They were about to go under, and they were nervous, and they were scared, and they were crying, and they were sobbing, and they were begging to go home. And as a parent, I had the right to pick that child up walk out of that surgery room, walk out of the hospital, put them in the car, and take them home. But I knew that the painful situation that we were enduring right then would bring good results. And so as difficult as it was for me as a parent, we remained in that operating room together. I'm sure Jesus would have loved 
to prevent Mary and Martha from going through the deep pain that they had to walk through when they lost their brother. But Jesus also knew that despite that pain, something amazing was happening in the supernatural realm. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was turning all eyes to his father. In the days leading up to Lazarus' death, I'm sure that Mary and Martha were going around town saying, just wait until Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, he loves Lazarus. He's going to heal Lazarus. This is going to be okay as soon as Jesus comes. But when Jesus doesn't come and Lazarus dies, I'm sure people were wondering what's going on. And then Jesus arrives and not only does he heal Lazarus, he actually raises him from the dead. And so this proved to his disciples that were standing there, Mary, Martha, all their Jewish friends, that Jesus was indeed the son of God and that he had power over the physical and the supernatural. You see, Jesus didn't heal Lazarus to alleviate his physical pain and Jesus didn't heal Lazarus to alleviate his sister's emotional pain. The Bible says in John 11, 42, that Jesus healed Lazarus so that all the people standing there would believe that God had sent Jesus. Which brings me to my second point, and it's this. Physical healings are wonderful gifts, but they are not guaranteed. You see, for every person that Jesus healed while he was here on earth, there were many other people that he did not heal. We read in the Gospels that Jesus heals the beggar, but what about all the other people that were around the beggar and who had been begging with them? We read in Luke that Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the grave, brings to life this little girl. Imagine the enjoyment and the joy that was all over her friends and family when she came back to life. But what about all the other children who died when Jesus was in their hometowns? Maybe you're like me and you've witnessed someone else receive an incredible healing. You know that Jesus can heal. But Jesus isn't healing what you are asking him to do. If we're honest, it can sometimes get a bit confusing as to why God is choosing to heal something and not something else. But if we go back to that first truth, that the purpose of healings is to point us to Jesus, then the important part becomes point us to God. The purpose of healings, of miracles, of all the strange happenings we're going to be talking about is for God to grab humanity's attention and turn our eyes to him. And if the point is to get our attention, to turn our eyes to him, then all of a sudden, God is not limited to just a healing. All of a sudden, the whole world can become a miracle and God can use anything to grab our attention. Often when we're praying for a healing, the focus kind of turns inward, doesn't it? It's like, God, I need you to fix this area. God, can you help me? God, I need you to do this. Me, me, me sometimes. I know I have. But when we recognize that the purpose of healing is to direct our eyes to God, our prayers should change a little bit. It should be more like, God, show me yourself. God, I want you to use my life, my body, to show your glory to this world so that many people will come to the realization of exactly who you are. God, I want to see your hand move in whatever way you want to move. Which brings me to my third truth this morning. And I'll say thank goodness that the purpose of healing is not to keep us from physical pain. And it's not 
to escape death because physical healings are temporary. They have expiry dates. Hebrews 9.27 teaches us that all people are destined to die. Spoiler alert, Lazarus ends up dying. And so will everybody else that has ever received a healing before because we live in these earthly, temporary vessels. Remember what we said? Made from dust will return to dust. But the Bible is very clear that those who have a personal relationship with Jesus, well, death becomes your ultimate healing. I know, you've never thought of death that way, but death becomes an ultimate healing. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That just means our sin, our wrongdoing, the things that we do that don't measure up. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, you may have heard this passage before taught on about physical healings. Maybe someone has said to you, like they've said to me before, all you have to do is pray because by his wounds we are healed. But the purpose of this verse is specifically for our souls. That's its true context. There will come a day when your bodies will die. There is no escaping that truth. But each of us are a soul. That's the truest part of us. And we reside in these physical, temporary bodies. But our souls, they are eternal. They will not die. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, all of a sudden, a whole new healing is now made available. And it's a spiritual healing. And all of the truths that we've talked about this morning on physical healings, well, they change slightly, or maybe they become a little bit more complete. Let's look at them here. The first one was this. While physical healings point us to God, we know that spiritual healings restore us to God, restore that relationship with God. And the second one is this. While physical healings are wonderful miracles, not guaranteed, but wonderful ways that God invades our physical realm, spiritual healings, because of what God did on, what Jesus did on the cross, are guaranteed for all who believe. Guaranteed, you will all receive an ultimate healing on the day that you die for those who believe in Jesus. And the third one is this. Physical healings are temporary, but spiritual healings, well, they're eternal. You see, the raising of Lazarus was such a significant miracle. It was such a strange happening. In just a short amount of time, Jesus knew that he was going to die on the cross. His fully dead body would be placed in a tomb and a stone would be rolled across it. And we know the end of the story, but the people around Lazarus' tomb, they did not know that this was coming. They did not know the end of the story. And so by raising Lazarus' body from the dead, Jesus was giving them such an incredible gift. He was saying to them, I am the Son of God, and because I am the Son of God, I have power over the physical and the supernatural. You don't need to fear death anymore. Physical and spiritual healings come directly from my hands. Let me show you. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, the truth is that our God is a miracle worker. He can heal cancer completely. He can restore 20-20 vision to the blind. He can straighten crippled bodies. He can put babies in barren wombs. He can fill up 
empty lungs and help them to breathe again. He can raise dead men back to life. God can supernaturally heal minds and restore memory. And the truth is that a day is coming that all of us who identify as a believer of Jesus, each of us will receive that ultimate spiritual healing. And this healing is guaranteed for us. But it will happen on the day that we breathe our last breath. In that moment, your soul will miraculously be transported up to heaven to be with Jesus forever. But until that day, Jesus teaches us that he wants us to come to him, that he wants us to come to him with our burdens and the things that are so heavy and the things that we're carrying, the physical diseases and the things that we're dealing with. He wants us to come to him and give them to him. He wants to move in our midst. He wants to invade our physical world with his supernatural world. He wants, us to, he wants to come in power and show us his hands. I love that God's heart bends towards the earth. That's why I like to say God's heart bends towards the earth. We see it all over scripture. We read in Genesis at the beginning of creation when the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We read when God came to Adam and Eve in the garden when they had sinned and were full of shame. We read when God leads the Israelites on a huge journey, he goes with them. We know that Jesus comes to our world as a little baby to live amongst us, to die on the cross. God's heart bends towards the earth. He wants us to come to him with all that we are carrying so he can lift it up. He wants to point us back to him. But he also asks that we would trust him to answer our prayers in the way that he knows is best. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.